Hello, I am the host of Shifting Culture, Joshua Johnson. I just want to come on before the episode and tell you all thank you for listening. Did you know that big things are coming for Shifting Culture and you can be a part of it? We have just launched a Patreon. When you become a monthly patron to the show, you will get our episode ad-free, get early access to episodes, be able to download episode guides, and get bonus shows. Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture to support all that we are doing. Your support means that we can continue to help the body of Christ look more like Jesus. Again, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture. Thank you so much. Now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. We long to see the body of Christ look like Jesus. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. Go to ShiftingCulturePodcast.com to interact and donate. And don't forget to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast app to be notified when new episodes come out each Tuesday. And it would help us reach new listeners if you could go right now and leave a rating or review. Just go to the show page and hit the five stars. It's really easy, and it takes just a second. So thank you for doing that. Previous guests on the show have included Brian Heasley, Craig Westoff, and AJ Swoboda. You could go back, listen to those episodes, and more. But today's guest is Lucy Pepiet. Lucy is principal of Westminster Theological Center in the UK. She lectures in Christian doctrine and in spiritual formation, and has written on discipleship, Christ and the Spirit, Paul and women, 1 Corinthians, and charismatic theology and practice, among other topics. Lucy also oversees a small network of community churches in Bristol and London. We have a great conversation around how theology has shaped her life and leadership and the practical mission of the church. We talk through the authority of Jesus and the given authority that we have as Christ followers and the implications of that practically through healing, deliverance, women in leadership, and a lot more topics. It's a great conversation that I know you're going to enjoy. So here's my conversation with Lucy Pepiet. Lucy, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you on. So thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I'd love to see, you know, as you have been studying um, and teaching theology um, and working through systematic theology, uh, how has that impacted your life and your leadership? Wow. <laughs> it, uh, well, I would say that studying systematic theology was really life-changing for me in many ways. Um, it was something that I came to later in life. So I, I started uh, my married life as as pastoring with my husband um, in Anglican churches, and the more the more I was doing in terms of preaching and pastoring and leading groups, the more I felt the need for um, more knowledge and wisdom, and you know, so I started studying a, just a general theology degree, a Bachelor of Divinity, and then in two thousand and three, I started a master's in systematic theology because that was the 
that out of the 10 modules I did in my degree, that was the one that I kind of gravitated towards. Yeah. That Actually, that and church history I loved. And they do sort of overlap. And, um, and then I finished, uh, I, well, I was halfway through my master's and, and my personal tutor was Murray Ray at King's College in, in London. And um, he, he and I phoned him for just sort of advice about what next. And he said, I think you should do a PhD. And that was a great surprise to me. But I, uh, the more I talked it through with him and prayed about it and talked it through with my family, um, the more I realized that he'd kind of told me something that I wanted to do but didn't think I could do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he he his approach to me and his suggestion, I would say to him, you know, we completely changed my life by mm. doing that. And it, it's a it's a salutary reminder of how powerful one person can be in another person's life, you know. Yeah. And um and obviously he was suggesting something to me that I think that the Lord wanted me to do and my family supported me in doing and I deep down really wanted to do. Um, but it was it was a hard it was hard doing a PhD in systematic theology. I always felt out of my depth the whole time. I I and I knew I loved what I was doing, but I felt totally incompetent mm. all the time, you know, which is hard and um and uh but but systematic theology is about the nature of god and who he is and how he how he react interacts with the world and so it's all these big questions of life and i found it, it i found it emotionally um and intellectually and spiritually deeply fulfilling uh, and challenging at the same yeah. time, and and then after I finished my PhD, I well also during I got to teach it, and so the engaging with these questions for myself, writing a PhD, and then teaching in the classroom and seeing students coming alive to these big questions where you take them through ancient thinking, biblical thinking, and then the thinking of the church fathers and and getting them to understand where they fit in that big history mm. is just, yeah, that's been life changing, I think, in many ways. And that, but, and, and never for a second, uh, did it unsettle my faith. It, yeah. it deepened my faith and deepened my sense of awe of God, of who he is mm. and my worship. And I, I hope that that's, who I am as a teacher for my students as well. Mm. As you started to to wrestle with these questions, these these big theological questions, and you've been seeing uh, in church history what the church has done, the the thinkers within the the church of how they've grappled with these questions. Um, what were what were some of the surprising things that were were truly relevant today um, that came from ancient thought and thinking about the way that God interacts in the world. Yeah, I I think I mean the first the first big debate that they had was about the nature of Jesus mm. and how they could express that he was one with the Father in the sense of being fully divine and 
you know, if you think about it from from their point of view, from the ones who were close to him, the idea of Jesus being fully human was not so challenging. Yeah. Um, but but this man who they knew, who had been born of Mary, and died on a cross, the the idea that he wasn't just a little bit lower than the Father, you know, just because this transcendent one God that he would condescend out of himself and in himself to come as an incarnate, as a man, and then suffer and and be involved in the creation in the way that was so deeply intimate in that he actually took the creation into himself, you know, yeah. uh, assumed it into his own personhood in that sense. That um, that that's conceptually deeply challenging. That this man would also be one with the one God, and so as they going into that debate is a fascinating thing, and realizing that the people who wanted to keep a little bit of a distance between the Father and the Son, and have these kind of subordinationist leanings really mm. was not because they were trying to detract from Jesus it was because they were trying to safeguard the transcendence of God and mm -hmm. right. so you know the motives <laughs> the motives were good um but they were wrong and 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 you realize um how important it is to think well and speak in the most precise terms possibly about God um, in order not to lose the greatness of who mm. he is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, and so, so the early debates about the Godhead of the Son and the Godhead of the Spirit um, are profound, I think, and, yeah. and you, never you, know, you never lose the, the sense of the profundity of those debates and the fact that we can all slip into uh, a subordinationist mindset incredibly easily you know the 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 oh isn't it maybe first the father then the son then the spirit yeah and then the spirit gets the you know he's the last and the lowest and the least kind of thing and and so that for me uh, that was the heart of their debate yeah and it, it seems so current all the time mm -hmm. you know it seems something that we we almost need to constantly remind ourselves of the nature of Jesus Christ and who he is. And that because the power of the incarnation comes so much more vividly to us when we remember that this is God the Son who has come to earth mm. and not yeah. just a messenger, you know, yeah. not just the one who was just a little bit lower and, you know, yeah. got the job. Yeah. So. And, I, you know, I spent a lot of my life um, and I still do working with Muslims. Um, and so we have this conversation a lot, you know, because, you know, we they want to really respect the transcendence of God, of who the one God is. And that Jesus being God, uh, God, the son is something that is unconscionable. I can't even say that word. Unconscionable. Yeah. Man, I'll look at me. Yeah, unconscionable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, to what they're they're thinking, um, yeah. and I think you know, as the the early church was grappling with it and thinking about it and going, is that can this be? Can God 
have be the sun as well and is there three in one um and so it when we're we're still wrestling with that if we're still thinking about that what are some things to say we could get into this place where we actually see the nature of jesus being uh, being who he truly is yeah so Borsha, so how do we understand those things today yeah that way saying yeah um i do you know i when i'm teaching this i always say to the student i i'm very privileged in the students that we have and they're very thoughtful christians um and so we're not we're not studying systematic theology as a kind of one removed philosophical concepts about yeah. God, you know, I know that does go on and, and I understand, you know, how that is done in different places. But for us, it's a very personal journey mm-hmm. about somebody we feel we know. And and so I I think of teaching about the Trinity and and a high Christology or the idea that Jesus Christ or Jesus of Nazareth is also God is really about worship and that I in a way I feel like we can't we can do the historical background to thinking about the Trinity and we can access helpful language and nomenclature you know the way that they would have that they articulate the relations between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in order to help us to think well about oh, this is how we can maybe imagine how three is one and one is three. But in terms of the reality of it, I think that the reality only comes to us through our worship of God, where we understand, we 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 know through our experience, which is what happened in the that's why the bible was written the new testament was written about jesus was because this man who they knew as the rabbi and the prophet turned out to be god and they they knew that they knew that if they hadn't known that they wouldn't have written down Mm. the gospels and paul wouldn't have written his letters and we wouldn't Mm. have hebrews and 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 that came because they knew that they had to make this transition from knowing Jesus the man to worshiping Jesus as God. And yeah. so I think that it only becomes real in that sense to us because this is the person we worship. But what what the history of the the thinking does for us is it it sort of beds it in in a, in a new and a different way as we realize that people for centuries have been wrestling with these concepts. And as yeah. they were engaging in conversation with people and sometimes, you know, massively heated debate with people who they were utterly convinced were completely wrong. Yeah. And they, and, and in that, in that sort of heated place, this, doctrine is forged and they write about the sun in ways that you find deeply compelling because you Mm. think yes this is what i know and and then you read it and then it you know it has this sort of reinforcing sense it's like Mm. it isn't scripture 
but often reading those reflections on the nature of Jesus Christ or the Trinity comes with a, a similar kind of power of conviction. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we're doing uh, in our churches, we're, we're on this uh, following Jesus pathway, this journey that we're walking through, and we're grounding it within the Great Commission. Um, and the thing that we're, we're, our eyes are open to say, wow, what is this? Is that, you know, Jesus said, all authority in heaven on and earth has been given to me. And out of that authority, he said, now go and make disciples. And you know, help people obey what I have commanded, what I've, I've taught, and he's going to be with us always. And so what is it in that authority of Jesus with us as Christ followers going and, and making disciples and trying to obey and love Jesus and look like Jesus? What is it about the authority uh, that can can help us in that process and get our mind around what that means. Um, that seems to be a pretty huge, massive thing. All authority is his. And because of that, we get to go. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I. that's a great question for us to be thinking about. And in fact, I was reading that the other day I got to because I've been reading through Matthew and I got to the end and was also reflecting on that where he says, um, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, um, which is clearly a statement about his divinity, mm -hmm. you know, that he is the one. It, it, there is only one God who has all that authority over all the heavens and over all the earth and and so he is making a very clear statement about who he is. So I, it seems to me to be very multifaceted. And I always think of the authority of Jesus as having both a, a power and a gentleness about it that we don't see in worldly authority very often. Um, and so I, I'm now I'm reading through Mark's gospel, and it, it, I always find when I read Mark, it's astonishing the number of deliverances that you are suddenly confronted with one after another. After yeah. you sort of think um, we we don't see a lot of deliverances in the West. I don't. Well, yeah. we don't here in Bristol, um, and. Uh, when we were living in Zimbabwe, we saw many more deliverances than we do here. So uh, that gives me reason to ponder and wonder what, what is going on. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but so in one, so there's a clear sense of Jesus' authority over all the powers, mm. or all mm -hmm. the powers of the world, all yeah. all that that exist. Um, whatever we think those powers are and how they're instantiated in our lives, he has authority over them. And there's a great safety and security in that, I think, of mm. the way that he can command. And we see that in the Gospels. He he has authority over creation. He has yeah. authority over demons. He has authority over sickness. Um, 
he has authority over worldly authorities because he is extremely authoritative with them, even though they end up killing him. But the but the senses that you get is that they only kill him because he lets them kill him. You know, and he says that in John's yeah. Gospel. I'm I'm doing this out of my own free will. You know, it's my will that this is happening. So. Um, so there's an authority that is this kind of comprehensive authority over every power, and uh, but there's also this extraordinary thing about Jesus where his authority is lived out by serving, and that he he says, I you know the Son of Man ha- has come to serve, mm. and. He's constantly teaching, especially in Luke's gospel, about this idea that he really is going to serve. And um, that's an astonishing concept that, because in our heads, authority figures are controlling figures who right. have the power, which yep. in, and in one sense, you know, as I've just said, he is that. Yes. But he's also not that in a very way and um his authority is is manifested to us through the cross mm. uh, which is completely alien to us in worldly terms that authority would be would take up that calling to die and to go to the cross and to submit himself to the powers that he has the authority over and and so it kind of completely messes with our categories, yeah. um, and and so our own authority. So and then he confers this authority on us, and so uh, I think the challenge for us is to learn to live with both those things, uh, mm-hmm. with a conferred, a delegated authority over powers, but also to understand how our own power is only to be channeled through serving in some way. Mm. In all ways, rather. Mm. So does that does that look like, um, you know, what, what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 6, that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood against flesh and blood? Are we serving flesh and blood like each other? Do we serve one another? And have authority over the powers uh, and the principalities, um, and look like trying to to make like join Jesus in, in restoring all things through through that. How how does that work together then? I think that's part of it, um, uh, but I also think sometimes we do have authority a worldly authority or we you know so i i currently lead a college and so i i have to i have had authority delegated to me by my board of trustees and yeah and i can't abdicate that in one sense the responsibility of that um and it does mean things like decision making and bearing responsibility for decisions that may or may not be good ones in the end, you know, yeah. and if it's a bad one, I have to take that as well. 
<laughs> so, um, but I, so I, I think there's a, a sense in which also authority does mean that we we bear a, a responsibility that others may not at certain points. But I like the idea that um, those those are simply roles and not um, identities. Mm. You know, so any any worldly authority that we bear will only be for a time, mm. and then we will step down or or will give up a, a space or mm. will be thrown out or any anything could happen. But it's not, you know. And what I find, we have a propensity to hold on to authoritative positions because yep. they give us security, and I think that. It's really important to first to remember the servant nature of those that we're called to, um, but but they will have there will be a power that we wield that we have to own and understand the consequences of of that power, um, and and to remember that it's uh, transient and it will mm -hmm. it will go and and. You know, so that's also really important to hold those things lightly. Yeah. The authority, you know. Yeah. So as we get that and we don't want it to become our identity, how does the Imago Dei really help inform who we are as our identity and the roles that we have been given uh, on earth? Yes, I think that that's a crucial uh, doctrine falls at in terms of the identity that we have as sons of God and as people made in his image. And I know it sounds funny to say sons because, you know, I have a natural instinct. We all want to say, well, and daughters, but actually the, the sons are, it's such a powerful ancient image mm. of privileged one, you know, the eldest son. Yep. The sun, the air, the sun and air, mm. and that's the status that we're given as the Imago Day, <laughs> as the um, we're the adopted sons and co-heirs of Christ. And so, knowing that, in theory, should give us a deep <laughs> sense of security. You know, <laughs> that he he gives us. Um, I, I like the in in John one, where John says he gives us the right to become children of God. So in fact, it, the the Greek word is actually authority there, exousia. He mm. uses it in that, and so um, uh, in Cyril's commentary on John, uh, he actually translates it that he has given us the power to become children of God mm. and uh, and it, there is this sense of he's given us the authority to become children of God he's allowed us this mm. this way of stepping in and stepping up and taking up this position which I think is a really powerful image and has a slightly different connotation to he has given us the right to become children of God so I would say that's where the where you have the Imago Dei and the Imago Christi 
and authority and power all converging in this one concept. Mm. Uh, there's a, a, f- a few things, you know, as somebody, I lead a, a missions agency and we're, we're wrestling with a lot of, of topics of, of practical ministry uh, to people who don't yet know Jesus. And one of the things that we, we wrestle through and we talk through is both deliverance and healing. Um, and knowing that, you know, if there is authority granted to us and we are, are, becoming like Jesus in that, that there's, we do see healing. We do see deliverances. We do see things that happen. Um, but a lot of people have been, there's a lot of, of stuff wrapped in to people's experience with healing and deliverance, which they pray for healing and they don't see it, but sometimes they see, see it in other other people and why do some people get healed and some don't how does that that authority that has been been given that we have help us see the the role in healing and deliverance um and then knowing that the story itself is not complete the consummation isn't here yet how does that also reframe the way that we see healing deliverance today uh, I I think I would want to tease apart healing and deliverance. Yeah. And perhaps address them as separate issues. Yeah. Um, and so I would say that healing, physical healing, uh, is I the way I understand physical healing is that it is a sign of God's kingdom coming mm-hmm. um, but it's not a given that everyone will be healed of their physical um, suffering in this life and and we know that because it doesn't work it doesn't yeah. happen. So our experience tells us that that is true. Yeah. And even the people who I know who have the most remarkable healing gifts um, do not have 100% success, as it were, of, you know, praying for the sick and seeing them healed. Yeah. Um, whereas in the Gospels, we're told occasionally, and Jesus healed them all, yeah. which, you know, amazing. Uh, but then at other times you get the feeling that maybe he did just sort of leave before everyone had been prayed for, you know. Yeah. Anyway, we don't know. Um, so our ministries of healing do are, are patchy in that sense, and um, it's very hard to extrapolate a a, a pattern. Um, out of our experience, and I don't, I, I'm not sure it's possible. Mm. So I think we want to reject the idea that if you're not healed, it's because you don't have enough faith. You know, we've all been yeah. down that sort of horror story, um, and we don't want to do that. And uh, and even you know, all the people around you don't have enough faith, or the person praying doesn't have enough faith, or whatever it is. You know, we dig around. I think and. Charismatics are the worst for that, you know, trying to find the root 
if you could find the root, then you'll definitely you'll you'll yeah. source it on that. Um, and so we have to we we have work to do on our pastoral care and theology of healing. I think, um, and it has to, in my mind, has to accommodate this what appears arbitrary. It, it appears an arbitrary lottery. Yeah. You know, this person is that person isn't. Um, but clearly, God has other ways of His dealing with us in that in those processes. So that healing for me is something that we do out of compassion and obedience. Sorry, prayerful healing is something we do out of compassion and obedience. Mm -hmm. That if if we see someone suffering, I don't think we can not pray for their healing and and yeah. cry out to God and we want to love them and and bless them and pray that their suffering will be alleviated. And so, of course, we pray. Um, Deliverance, I think, is different, and that here I would say that the authority comes into play um, in the authority over the demonic world or the principalities and powers. But my experience of de de the deliverance ministry is that there is also a sense in which, and here there is a responsibility upon the person to uh, engage with and embrace those prayers as well. Mm. Um, and I have uh, been in a couple of times where I think there was a, it appeared to be a spontaneous deliverance, you know, yeah. when someone just prayed a very innocuous prayer and someone around there somewhere um, just screamed and, and clearly something left them. Um, and that, and that can happen, but often it will be something that even the person themselves has a sense that there is an oppressive force uh, in them, on them, however they might express it. And in a sense, they also have to let that go, <laughs> you know, and they, so the community takes authority yeah. uh, in that moment and, um, it's a decisive one, I mm. think, a decisive authority. And uh, that's been my experience. But I, I, you know, it's interesting to hear other people's experiences of deliverance and healing as different things. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think they are, are, are different things and we do parse them out, especially in our training and what, what we do. We talk through healing and then we teach through deliverance. Um, and, you know, we have seen seen them both um and we know that uh jesus is is powerful and we could see see that and i love that he does have authority over the powers the principalities um and that we could actually walk through that and walk in it another thing that you know we we really do believe in and it's right there in our mission statement that we believe in men and women in leadership um and but that's that that women in leadership i still get people saying hey, can you like, can you parse that out for me? Can you show me where that is in scripture? What does that look like? What does it look like in the story of God of how can women, <laughs> women lead, um, and be, you know, be present in that, um, without this, this male, whatever you call it, uh, authority over them. Um, and so that's one of the things that I think is really helpful for people is when they get a clear picture of what's 
God says about women, um, and even the role of women in uh, in Jesus's ministry um, and in the early church in Acts um, has been really helpful for people. As you've been studying and looking at it and looking at women and the role of women, what are some of the things that were helpful for you as you looked at at scripture and what people have been saying about uh, women? For me, well, I I would say I was in a very privileged position in my life um, growing up and as a young woman and then uh, a young uh, married woman in churches where, so my, my own family was a, was a wonderful place to be a, a girl and a young woman. My parents were fully supportive of anything I wanted to do and were both quite sort of gentle, not really evangelical Christians, but would never have exposed me really to that, those yeah. readings of the Bible that were oppressive to women. So I was brought up in the opposite spirit. And, um, and I think coming to the scriptures with an expectation that I was going to find a positive message for me as a woman and as a child of God and um and as a co-heir with Christ in one sense if you if you come expecting that it's almost hard to see the opposite yeah. i mean it sounds strange because it you know i know people who have had those oppressive messages kind of deeply ingrained into them and and i was the opposite i suppose um and so i know that it requires a, a big shift in perspective in understanding um in in trusting i think that the words say that the words appear to say this to me there are only only a handful of texts about women and men and god uh, mm. Very few, actually, yeah. in the whole. If you think how big the Bible is, but they become so dominant and so powerful uh, in the hands of people who, many of whom, were trying to do the right thing, I believe, but ended up silencing women. I mean, that was the. This is the awful fallout of one Corinthians fourteen, mm -hmm. thirty-six, and one Timothy two, and. Um, uh, but it, it, what's so strange, though, is if you read the whole Bible, and yeah. women are not silenced. I mean, mm -hmm. they're far from it, you know. And and where they are through some tragedy or abuse, which is horrific, there is this great sense of outrage that this should have happened to a woman or, you know. Uh, and so in one sense, I, I think... I know it's a process and it needs to be a longer process for some people than others, but um, I'm very confident in the process of, of perhaps drawing people to look in different places in the scriptures to find themselves and to mm. find how God sees women and what yeah. you think of women and how women are treated by Jesus, you know, which mm -hmm. is such a powerful 
powerful story. And then, and then to see Paul working with many, many women, many women that who were he calls his co-workers, um, who were deacons with him and ministers of the gospel, who some were in Christ before him. You know, yeah. they clearly taught him, mentored him, paid for his mission. And and once you begin to see all this thing, these things, then you have to say, okay, well, if this is true, then let me go back and reread these couple of texts that have been used to silence women, and let me think now: would is this coming from God's heart? Is mm. this God's voice spoken over women when there seems to be such a powerful, strong voice in the rest of Scripture? Yeah, as the opposite. Mm. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I would really, really encourage any woman or man to go on their own journey of discovery, um, because I'm, I, I do feel confident in the work of the Spirit in people's lives. So yeah, they go back to the scriptures to search. You know, l- let me do my own journey of what is God saying to women mm. and about women. And it's a story of freedom. It's a wonderful, mm. beautiful story. Yeah. Um, and it's and it goes against the destruction of male dominance that has gripped the world. It, mm. It's a different. It's the opposite story. In mm. yeah, you know, as you were looking, I mean, you just uh, finishing up uh, the book of Matthew. How radical was it to include uh, women in the genealogy of Jesus? beginning of Matthew um what what was that that he was doing and trying to communicate and say through the genealogy I well I as you know I'm not a bible scholar expert in that yeah. sense I know I, I already I'm thinking oh there's so many people I know who dance that way better than me <laughs> really honestly I, I mean like all I can say to you is I know it was completely radical yeah. And and also women who were not, you know, uh, I mean, shady women. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, they were shady women. <laughs> really but, I mean, you have these women, and uh, yeah. So it's an it's a sort of anti-glorious list, you know, yeah. people, including the women. And I, but this is what I find about the scriptures is that. It's almost like we we've lost the impact mm. of the fact that the women are not just included but named. Yeah, their names are there, and the name is a powerful thing that goes down the generations. Um, and so when we see a woman named, uh, we should sit up and take notice and say, okay, so that is someone who is receiving a status and an honor mm-hmm. through being named for for all time. You know, we still have these texts. Yeah. And, I, and that's a powerful thing. Yeah. I just, uh, as a side note, you know, this genealogy uh, has been, has brought countless people to Jesus that they discovered and said yes to Jesus for the first time through reading the genealogy. Um, and for a, a Western mind like mine, I don't understand it, but I know that people come to see that and go, there is something 
otherworldly about Jesus. He is who, you know, people say he is um, because of this genealogy. And I think that's fascinating and it's cool. Yeah, that's very cool. (laughs) I I want to see that happen now. (laughs) That's brilliant. Yes, yes. Um, You know, if you uh, right now starting to, you know, to teach um, and what are some of the things that your your students are really wrestling with right now um, that you uh, are are coming up against? What are some of the the things that are are popping at the moment? I think um, one of the things that people are wrestling with is the whole question of identity and sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is a huge thing for us in the West in terms of how, you know, how we understand those categories and how do we think theologically and scripturally through the pastoral issues that we're facing. Yeah. Um, And so it's not, we don't sort of talk a lot around answers. We talk more about the the pastoral trauma i think of being at this place at this time in the west and how we how we cope with that face Mm. it um and what it looks like to be christ-like communities um in this context Mm. so that those are definitely things that students are wrestling with. Um, I'm trying to think. We just come back from a residential, so I'm trying to think about. Um, I think so. Either if someone is young or they're working with young people, the whole question of body image is a really big thing mm-hmm. as well, um, and the the impact of social media. Mm. on them on how they see themselves and their relationships and those yeah. kind of things um I, I mean i'm sure it's true for older people as well but i think it seems to be a big thing mm. and the sexualization of young of children mm. um is also deeply troubling really yeah it is um and pornography so so those are some of the things that are on people's minds and how we can, you know, how do we um, process, tackle, be loving, all those questions. What are one or two steps that uh, somebody could take to start to wrestle with those questions and those those thoughts of what does the, the Bible say about this? What does God say uh, for us in these days? How can we start to engage those in a way that honors God and actually then gleans from God and his his thoughts and his understanding in the way that we should carry on and live? I I think that one of the things is that well, with, I think probably you're in the same position is that we don't feel we can withdraw from mm-hmm. the world. You know, if we're committed to mission, 
we can't kind of close ourselves off um and and i think that often is the is a a, a desire you know is just uh, i'd like to just shut the door and forget that this is all going <laughs> on you know and and get into bubbles yeah um and just keep our kids away from school and do what you, you know just yeah. sort of protect ourselves and i understand that really really deeply but if we're committed to mission somehow we're sort of propelled outwards all the time aren't we and mm -hmm. and and propelled into a, a extremely messy dysfunctional world because the world is always pretty messy and dysfunctional and whether it knows it or not um and so one of the questions i think is how do we maintain our center uh, as people who follow jesus uh, in in a world that is very decentered and and um where there isn't really a, a sort of compass mm -hmm. um and so i think strong communities that are centered around the scriptures and the spirit and what it means to really love one another are important. And also, I don't believe it, that we can dictate to other people how they should live and that if we become controlling in that sense, then it will just drive people to keep things hidden actually yeah. you know they'll just mm -hmm. lie to pe people and say well i'm not doing that and then mm -hmm. they'll do it you know yeah. it's not helpful <laughs> it so the what's really in front of us and i think this comes out so clearly in one corinthians where paul says you know you're not to judge the world you're what he's saying to them is you sort your lives out mm. you, know, you sort yourself out you work out how following jesus looks like being homely in your life and then we'll then we'll talk <laughs> then we'll talk about the world yeah. and I, I that's what I feel challenged by is mm. Paul's oh, well, oh. he, um, the way he relates to the church of Corinth which itself mm. is in a mess mm -hmm. and he says get yourselves sorted out mm. and start living holy lives before God and living as though you are sanctified because you are sanctified and and i think for me i sort of think well let's start there yeah. if we start there and if if holiness if real holiness is wholeness and beauty mm. and then has its own overflow of love to to those who are not holy um that i would hope would be attractive and yeah. and compelling in some way yeah. you know and i think that the spirit is very powerful and has his own way of convicting all of us of the changes that we should be making in our lives yeah that's really helpful let's look at ourselves <laughs> let's start with ourselves uh so what would you give what advice would you give to your 21 year old self if you look back on your life oh well, at 21, I was not following the Lord. <laughs> so I would want to have uh, got myself sorted out, probably. <laughs> if I had found myself then, I'd have given myself a good talking to. Um, 
yes, my 21-year-old self, I I was quite self-assured of things that I then later thought, gosh, I was completely wrong about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was very glad that God got hold of my life when I was 23. Yeah. Uh, so my 23-year-old self, um, twenty. I was nearly twenty-four, and at twenty-four, I was. I I started reading the Bible from start. I started at Genesis. And I thought, well, I'll read the whole thing through, because uh, I'd never read the whole Bible before. And um, I think that I would want to say to that young, to the young twenty-something of me that that discovered Jesus. Um, to to say, you you can. He is completely trustworthy in every single possible way you could ever imagine. Mm. And when he asks you to do something, just do it. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Anything you've been reading or watching lately that you could recommend? Oh well, I have read, and I don't know if um, it's it's quite a dense theological book um but i a- actually absolutely loved it it's jesus and the god of classical theism by stephen doobie mm. and um i was thrilled to read it and i um i i wrote him i don't know him i wrote told him how much i appreciated his work so i thought it was absolutely fantastic it's a so it's a a defense really or an apology for um, the idea that God is is simple and immutable and impassable in the in the ancient terms of the way they understood that, but in the light of a very strong doctrine of the incarnation and the engagement, the deep engagement of this God with this world through the Son, and it's actually what I teach in my classes, and I was delighted to read this extremely in-depth and scholarly tome um, rooting all of these thoughts or drawing all of these thoughts from the scriptures rooting them mm. in the scriptures and it was a it, and and clearly uh, written by someone who himself is loves god and is a real worshiper so mm. that's great yeah that's a great recommendation how can people uh, find your work, uh, you, and uh, if people want to continue their studies, how could they connect with you? Uh, well, if somebody is in the UK, they can come to my college, which we would love to see them. And I hope some, there will be um, some people in the UK listening to your podcast. I'm sure there are. Yes. So, yeah. So um, that would be wonderful. And we're opening applications very soon for September 2023. Three, um, but we're also running a foundations in theology course, which is going to be online uh, mm. starting mid September, and it'll be twenty four Wednesday evening from September through to May, with with holidays in between. And there'll be four modules on that, and I will also be teaching on that. And mm. that will be open to anyone uh, who wants to come. And join in if they can cope with the time differences. Where, um, which I hope for the US, it should be fine if people have got some space during the day. Yeah, um, right. So, and then I have my books are on Amazon, and um, 
we have and I and I have lots of podcasts out there. Nice. <laughs> Great. Well, Lucy, thank you so much for this conversation. I really enjoyed having a conversation and talking with you um, through, yeah, the authority of Jesus and what that means for our lives and, and how we could actually live and lead and work together and how we could, you know, parse things out like healing and deliverance and how we could work together as men and women um, and what scripture has to say about the uh, incredible awesomeness of women. Um, and so thank you for this conversation. It was really wonderful. I really enjoyed it. Thank, thank you. you so much. And thank yeah. you for your very, very interesting questions. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Have a good one. And you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to see more episodes like this, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron of the show. You can help us produce more episodes so that we can see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. If you become a patron on patreon.com slash shifting culture, uh, you will get early access to episodes. You will get episode guides. You will get bonus shows, hopefully, and more. So go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron. Also leave a rating and review on Apple podcasts. Uh, it really helps us out and helps us find new listeners to the show and just go and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network, people that you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great week. <laughs>